Good afternoon. This is Michael Ostrolink, and I'm back with Kiki Weingarten for our third and hopefully many more uh, <laughs> interviews. How you doing, Kiki? How you doing, Kiki? I'm doing great, Michael. So good to be talking with you again. Yes, Yay. great to be talking to you as well. Okay, and I have like lots of questions to ask today. <laughs> sure. So the first thing that I did want to do before we talk about this one is, well, actually, let me give an introduction about what we'll be talking about today. Um, we're going to be talking about, um, you know, all things, well, not all things, but, you know, personal development and psychology slash therapy. And I'm very interested in knowing more about transpersonal psychology and the way that you work and your school of education, where you come from. A very quick introduction about my my background. I did my first master's is in guidance counseling with a specialty in career counseling. And I found that I was able to help people, you know, make changes from A to B, but somehow people got stuck, you know, then on B because, well, okay, you made the change. So I started studying uh, analysis, psychoanalysis, as something called modern psychoanalysis. And that took people to a deeper level, very deep. Uh, the problem there is that you could be discussing the same issue or the same thing you want to change for decades. So if you come in with one issue, um, you know, by the time you figure stuff out, it's you might not even be interested in making that change. So that's how I developed my personal uh, work model uh, that I use really in everything. I use it in education, I use it in coaching, I use it in consulting, I use it in my writing, um, and with any really in, in all my work and interactions. So that's where I'm coming from. But I want to know about you and how, and that's where I'm going to have questions because the modalities that I study are very different than yours. Even though I have spoken with people, Rick Doblin, Dee Coulter, and thank you for those introductions as well, who have come from your background and training and are doing the most amazing work. So I'm really, it's a very open and accepting model and it, and it digs very, very deep. So I definitely want to hear more about it. So today we'll also, I would love to touch a little bit if we have time, technology and how you had mentioned in one of your mental musings how the technology is becoming um, an extension of ourselves. And as we just discussed before we started, that will probably be another conversation. Um, I am also interested in how your training, transpersonal training, colors and impacts the other work you do in your transpartisan coalitions and seal fit. If, you know, if they, how, how that works. So, um, all right, so let me just, I'm getting to, so how did you get started in um, transpersonal psychology? How did you become interested in psychology, the healing arts and transpersonal psychology? And I'll just, I had thought of a couple of different areas I'd, I'd love for you to touch on. Um, why did it feel like a calling or a direction to you? And um, and then we'll go into some of the other questions that I have. Sure. 
Um, so uh, there's a Chinese curse um, okay. and a blessing. You live in interesting times, and yes. uh, I was yes. fortunate. Uh, as a youth to live in interesting times where I had some health and diagnosed learning disabilities, which uh, were emotionally and physically challenging to me. Okay. And um, my, my folks sent me to it originally, I was around nine, uh, to a psychiatrist. And okay. uh, I had the forethought out of nowhere that I said to my, to my mom at the time, she told me later that uh, he's fat and he smokes, how can he help me? I don't want to see him ever again. <laughs> Right. So, I, that was my first and last time seeing the psychiatrist, which is really good because he probably would put me on medication. Right. Um, I ended which is up, what they usually do, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is 1979, so okay. even before it was really popular to put kids on medication. And right. I was around uh, nine or so. Okay. Um, but my folks found me, Miss Pat Lawson. She was a psychotherapist um, mm -hmm. in Maryland. And uh, she was one of the cutting edge researchers and utilizers of biofeedback. Okay. Um, so one of my first early therapy sessions with her was actually connected to a computer. And you can mm -hmm. imagine this is 1979. So this is, you know, oh, before wow. Max and <laughs> all that kind of cool stuff. Right, right. Um, and she had me do a, basically arousal control. And the more I relaxed, the more these balloons would rise. The more stress I became, the balloons would drop. So she taught me through biofeedback how to manage my nervous system. Okay. Which taught me how to deal with some of the stress I was dealing with, the various health and learning challenges I was facing. Right. So, so she got me into like the, the mind-body aspects of my interest. And technology. And technology. You know, that, that, that probably explains how, you know, you, how you're drawn to it. But I'm wondering, as a nine-year-old, that was so brave of you to try something so not done. You know, what, do you have any memories of what the experience was like as a nine-year-old being part of something so cutting edge? Um, you know, I was really fortunate too, for whatever reason, as a little kid, uh, around the same age, I had a strong interest in those kind of things, uh, independent or parallel with my work with uh, Pat Lawson. Okay. So, and what I mean by that is I can recall the first three books I purchased, or my, actually okay. my, my mom purchased for me because I didn't okay. have any money. Um, one was Zen Mind, No Mind by Jai Suzuki, which is a book on okay. Zen. At nine? You were reading this at nine? And I, and I have to give a caveat because okay. I read it now and I probably don't understand it any better than I did when I was nine. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. But it was really one of my first three books. So there was something innate in me with an interest, at least in, in these cases, in Eastern philosophy, because the other two books were also, one was Zen and the Martial Arts, and the third was a book on yoga. Um, right. So between the technology and biofeedback and the interest in the Eastern spiritual traditions, you know, they, they came together uh, nicely under Pat Lawson's guidance, who uh, suggested a game to the martial arts, so I studied the martial arts, I got into Taekwondo, uh, she taught me meditation. She used a lot of bio-guided imagery with me. Wow. You know, that so I was, a, I, yeah. I really just want to interject for one yeah, second. I'm sorry. I also <clears throat> want to give tremendous credit to your parents and your mother who really encouraged that uh, and, and let you go there because there are so many parents who would be very fearful 
of that kind of thing. I don't want, you know, oh, oh, sounds a little weird. So kudos, kudos over there. So, yeah, okay, sorry. no, I got really fortunate. My folks were quite supportive. Um, yeah. You know, so that was kind of the milieu I was kind of growing into. And I recall, mm-hmm. uh, and I still have these magazines uh, in the, okay. in, in the set, late 70s, early 80s. I used to get East West, I think it was called East West Journal or East West Magazine. Seriously? Wow. And uh, no, it was I just lit- can't believe you got it so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, wow. So young. Okay. So, you know, so, you know, alternative food, alternative education, alternative ways of learning, alternative ways of knowing, alternative psychologies, East West, you know, from the spiritual traditions of the East to the esoteric traditions of the West. Um, right. So, you know, I was just drawn to those things as a kid so cool that is really and and it just you know i'm just picturing myself and any nine-year-olds and that's again i go back to how brave that was of you and i think it takes a sense of a certain sense of knowing yourself and that you were able to just assert that this is this is what you want to do starting with i'm not going back to that psychiatrist um so when did it uh, start to feel like a calling or a, di- a direction to you as you grew up? I know that your undergraduate degree, uh, you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. It was in government. Mm-hmm. So I always had two parallel tracks uh, in terms okay. of interests. Uh, and if, when, I take, when I took those tests as a kid, kind of like what you're supposed to do, it kind of confirmed these two parallel tracks. Right. Um, so I was always interested in esoteric, the alternative, which we just discussed. Mm-hmm. And I was also very interested in government and law enforcement and intelligence and all that kind of good stuff. And it, okay. I, I was born and raised in D.C., so our neighbors were CIA and FBI. And, you know, so you're okay. just kind of surrounded by government folks. <laughs> right. um, so when I graduated college, I actually did an interview with the general uh, the criminal investigation division of the Department of Defense, I think it was. Maybe it's the Department of Army. I, I, hopefully I don't screw that up too, too bad. Okay. Um, but he actually recommended that I, I go and get my MBA. Actually, I go get a graduate degree because it's better to join the government at a higher level than a lower level, no okay. matter what agency you want to join, whether intelligence or law enforcement. Um, so actually, I did. I started getting an MBA. <clears throat> it was pretty easy. It's kind of boring. I hate math. I shouldn't say I hate math, but I'm not too fond of math. And, okay. And most of the stuff I was learning in the program, I was like, I really wasn't interested in, except for mm-hmm. the psychology side of the management of human beings, because okay. that kind of fit with my interests, you know, previous or parallel. <clears throat> right. Um, so I was on that path, and uh, unfortunately, a good friend of mine, um, from since I've known him since elementary school, was uh, killed yeah. in a bar fight. And oh. um, yeah, uh, got in a fight. We went out to the to the car parking lot and got shot and killed oh my god yeah um and that just kind of blew like blew my mind and threw me through a loop and and uh i guess they call it the dark night of the soul right and uh sure. yeah so for a couple months i was really depressed and i was doing fine in school but i just i wasn't interested in the mba program at all and what i realized i was interested in in was all the psychology stuff which i've been studying on the side forever Nutrition, okay. psychology, spirituality. Um, so I just started looking into schools which better suited my true, truer interest. And um, I found a couple. One was John F. Kennedy University in Orinda, California. Okay. 
and the other one is the California Institute for Integral Studies in San Francisco, Northern okay. California as well. And uh, at the time, I was looking at doing a joint program um, at CIAS, the California Institute for Integral Studies, which would have led me to get uh, a master's as a marriage, a master's so I can get my marriage and family therapy license and a okay. PhD in an East-West psychology program. Okay. Which had been perfect because it kind of fit with everything I was interested in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I sort of applied for both. I was kind of waiting, waiting, waiting. And a joint program kind of fell apart while I was waiting. So I ended up going to John F. Kennedy, mm-hmm. which is really good. I, I enjoyed my education there. And I That's got good. my uh, master's in transpersonal psychology, which you referenced earlier. Yes. Um, and it was a much better fit. I mean, the MBA, as I said, was pretty easy. I wasn't challenging, too, too, too challenging at all. But it wasn't like a heartfelt fit. Okay. But uh, JFK was really a heartfelt fit. Okay. Um, That's nice. And then That's I ended up, yeah, I ended up going to CIIS, California Institute for Angle Studies, for postgraduate work in somatics, but longer down the road for part of the story. Could you, could you um, define what somatics is for for because not that many people know what the word actually means in reference to psychology or anything else. Sure. Uh, so soma is the body experienced from within, or somatics okay. is the body as experienced from within. Okay. In most of Western psychology, um, except for tracking certain behaviors, objectively the body is kind of dismissed. It's, you know, you're a walking head. And what happens in the body is not really an important importance to, to a lot of various schools of psychology in the West. Somatics mm-hmm. brings the body back in. Mm-hmm. Some schools of somatics say you know you can't really make distinctions between the body and the mind. We're, we're embodied creatures. Okay. Um, it's a false dichotomy. Talk about the mind and the body. Right. And then other aspects or other schools in the somatics field. You know, we'll talk about you know mind as a separate entity, but there's a connection with bodily processes. So it really depends what school psychology we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, uh, my training has been, at least in the somatics field, is the importance of recognizing that we are feeling beings, that we have sensations, we have feelings, you know, we have muscles, we have joints, we have tendons, we have, we have bones, we have relationship to gravity, to time and space. Breath is important. The way we move and carry ourselves is important. There's developmental aspects of movement from crawling to walking to running and various psychological aspects of those different types of movements. So, you know, tries to encompass the whole of the human being, not just one's cognition or behaviors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you. Sure. Um, I think most people hear it in reference to psychosomatic illnesses, etc., etc. The word is not used that much in general. Uh, So thanks. Thanks for that definition. That's a really great one. Um, So let me ask you, because, you know, I walk around all the time and I look at people and say, I I don't get the terrible stigma um, that people have to therapy. I really, I just don't. Uh, And maybe that's because I really I started studying psychology at 17 and I've always been interested in it and in any way that a person can help themselves to feel better and to have a more productive um, and a, just a better life a more pleasant life so 
how do you think people can benefit from therapy and transpersonal therapy in particular? Well, <laughs> um, I think it's therapy is a double-edged sword. So, okay. Um, let me start with the negative side actually first. Sure. Um, oh, I of, have a ton of negative <laughs> Sure. Please. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I do, I do think it has this role to play, and I think it's really important. But here's the but. Um, I do have concerns about people utilizing therapy to keep themselves locked in certain ways of being in the world continuously over and over again. They're not really seeking change and or their therapist is not helping them seeking change that they thought they came in to seek. Right. Okay. Um, that is so fascinating. Um, that concept. I have never thought of it that way. So keep going because yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have questions on that. Yeah. Sure. Um, and the, the way a lot of our therapy is organized in this country, it's, it's very narrow cast. Um, and I think it does disservice to patients or clients, however you define people you're seeing. And what I mean by narrow cast is from my studies, and I could be wrong, but this is my experience. A lot of the psychological problems that we see are these distinctions are tough, but are, are generally physiological problems, not psychological problems. A lot of our physiological problems that doctors see are psychological problems. We reverse them. So if that's true, um, no matter how often you see your therapist, you're not going to be really able to fix, quote unquote, your problem because you're not doing under, you're not dealing with the underlying physiological causes or aspects of that problem. And I'll give you an example if you'd like. Yes, I would love to hear one. My favorite example is I had a client come in, this is years and years and years and years ago, um, and uh, he's having trouble in his relationships, and he wanted mm -hmm. to kind of do a deep dive with his family of origin, his mother, and mother stuff. Okay. And I was like, okay, you know, he told me a little bit about it, and it sounded like there's something there, there, he, you know, what patterns he learned how to relate to women, which weren't very healthy, he learned from his mother, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I step back and I ask him a whole set of questions about diet, nutrition, and sleep, and exercise, and you know, a wide variety of different stuff. And I came to find out that probably the anxiety he felt on a daily basis was not necessarily attributable to his family of origin dynamics. It was the fact that he was eating like crap, drinking sodas and coffee all day to keep himself awake, and then and then to, you know, drinking at night to put himself to sleep. So he's not mm. sleeping well. So if you're in that cycle of using drugs, drugs, caffeine, to wake yourself up and alcohol mm. to kick yourself to sleep, which disrupts your sleep, and you do that for weeks, months, and years at a time, your physiology is so messed up that you're, you're anxious. So you can project that anxiety on a wide variety of things. You could blame space aliens. You could blame his mother. You could blame anything. Until he dealt with the physiology, physiological troubles of him not sleeping well, him not eating well, him you know, using certain drugs, legal drugs, there's no way, I don't think, I could have helped him deal with whatever issues he had that were partially related to the anxiety, related to relationship issues. So we, we actually kicked his caffeine slowly, got him on a better diet, got him sleeping. Once all that stuff got dialed in, his physiology, Mm -hmm. His troubles diminished like by seventy percent. Wow! And he still had troubles because he hadn't, right, well, sure. you know, he didn't have the capacities to to engage in a, in a uh, conscious, authentic, compassionate relationship with women 
because he didn't learn how to do that. So you know, we could then deal with that. Right. But if we well, had that's sort of an emotional them. education, yeah, meaning yeah, then yeah. to relearn, okay, and or to yeah. learn for the first time, okay. Yeah, which is and, and that's that's where you can do the deep dive and uncover patterns, and you know reprogram the nervous system and the mind to, to be differently in relationship. But mm-hmm. I don't think if I hadn't helped him deal with his physiological issues, that you know he would have been in therapy for the rest of his life. Right. Right. Now, I, you know, I have to go back to my original question and sure. to what you just said and, quali- and qualify. Um, I am very pro good therapy with a good therapist, okay? Yeah. I have, personally, I've had bad experiences. I have uh, been in school with people who I would run shrieking from my classroom going, no, Please don't let these people treat anyone. Seriously. No, I hear you. Terror. Absolute Uh terror that these people are going out there and like, you know, they're going to be treating anyone. Um, And so that, that is the number one, you know, that is my first thing. And I'm very careful about the referrals that I make. Um, Second thing is, okay, yet another area that we disagree on and have such conflicting opinions that we'll have to talk about that again. Um, But it's very interesting what you're talking about, the emotional learning. Um, And also like when you were saying about being in therapy for the rest of your life, there are times that I just say to myself, you know, I might be a lifer. I really have no idea because to me, like what's so... What is bad about going in and just dumping, you know, a lot of situations on a person who is trained to listen, hear one way, and then you walk out and sort of unburden yourself, and in, and not in a way where you're doing it to friends or on Facebook, you know, where you're getting a different kind of reaction, which it doesn't belong there, but okay. Well, let me um, let, let me respond to that actually, if you don't mind. Sure. Because I actually agree with you. So. Okay. It, for me, then, let me clarify, it would depend why the person's in therapy. If the person's in therapy for what you just said, they just mm-hmm. want an objective person to listen and kind of bounce, bounce ideas back off of. Right. That's fine. But just be really clear that that's what your intention is going into therapy. I don't, okay. you know, the way I work, I don't work with those kind of people. That's, you know, okay. there's other therapists who are great listening and they can do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I gotta listen, obviously. Right, no, absolutely. I understand what you're saying. But I'm, yeah, I'm less interested in being a sounding board or more interested in being a facilitator for people's growth. Okay. But both are fine. I mean, it's, it's what the, the client or the patient wants. Um, and the lifelong therapy thing, I'll speak to that real quick too. So if someone's coming into me for a particular issue, mm-hmm. that should be time sensitive. Like it should only take a certain amount of time, not a lifetime to deal with that issue, unless it's so okay. intense. Like, you know, it's like, right. yeah. You know. mm-hmm. But that doesn't well, mean the person. Issues, you know, sometimes if we're talking about, let's say, pre verbal issues, where something the person might not, you know, it depends how far back the issues go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what, and I won't get into that conversation now, but, you know, it really depends. Some people might come in with the with the issue that they are, you know, stating, this is the issue that I'm coming in with, and it might seem like a very surface issue, when in reality we're talking about something much, much deeper. And those, that's right. where it becomes right. a little tricky. That's where it becomes a little tricky. Well, in that case, I would say that there's this time limit for fixing a particular problem, but uncovering one's life, life 
is a lifelong thing. Lifelong. Yes. So you, okay. you know, so like your therapist, depending on the extent of your damage. I mean, if it's really damaged, it can take a long time. Right. But like I could see a therapist being more like a coach, mentor, facilitator. Uh, after a while, yes, to help you continue to grow once you've dealt with the underlying huge issues that are keeping you from moving in the right direction for yourself. Right, right. And then, okay. And like you, like you would probably see, you it's like onions. You don't peel layer back. Oh, right. Snail stairs, not what we thought. Peel layer back. Right. Um, I just have concerns about people who are in therapy <sighs> buying therapist pools, <laughs> paying for therapists to have their pools and their vacations and stuff. And right. not really getting the help that they want or deserve. I agree. That's a concern. I'm in 100% agreement with you on that. And I see it all the time. Yeah. Um, I see it all the time. And people who sometimes think they are being helped, and they really aren't, where it's just so obvious that they're not getting the kind of help that they really need. Right. Uh, that's, but that's also because of the way that the person that they saw was trained. You know, it mm -hmm. depends... Um, on the training that their therapist, you know, and it depends on how far and how deep they want to go. That's, you know, it's scary stuff. <laughs> it's really scary. You can get into some really scary and intensely emotional things that of course, of course. clearly people don't want to go there. It's painful. There's, you know, I'm a fan of defenses. You know what I mean? They have their they, place. They really, they, yeah. and, and they, help people get through you know when when you meet someone who has defenses that are really entrenched um I, I always think and again through my training and besides being a compassionate human being but through my training it this helped them survive they needed this and the question is why and that's that's where you go from so some people want to keep those defenses and keep on being that way, and that is so they find a good fit. They find a therapist that's a good fit, and I think that's it. But that's very interesting. But the transpersonal is it practiced in any way that's different? Like what? What is that like? People come in, they sit on a chair, they lay on a couch. Like what? What is? How does it work? Well, I can only speak to how I work with people, and I work with people. Okay. Um, I, mean, I obviously can't speak for every person who's oriented in my way, um, but I would, I'm much more than a transpersonally oriented uh, uh, therapist or and or now coach. Okay. Um, to hear. Yeah, because that, that's just a lens which I can see the world through, and I, I try to use as many lenses as possible to try to get right. as big a okay. picture as possible. Um, but the way I personally prefer to work, um, I've had I've played basketball with clients. I've gone okay. for walks with clients. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually interested in the very near future to do physical training with clients while we're also mm -hmm. dealing with psycho, you know, emotional issues as well. Right. I think the, the physical stress can put you on the edge and help you deal in interesting ways with uh, psycho-emotional challenges. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, and I also said, you know, in a chair and talk to people. <laughs> you know? Right. Oh, okay. Uh, so uh, th there's there's no like rhyme or reason. The the, the kid I played basketball with, um, neurologically impaired, he, he hated therapy. He hated therapist, mm -hmm. and I thought it'd just be a waste of his time to sit sit and, and have him bore me for 50 minutes right. every week. So I figured try playing basketball. Uh, That's which, actually great. Which worked That's out really, it. really well. 
because yeah. he opened up and we had some good sessions and so yeah so yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice yeah thinking nice. outside the box is a useful exercise right right and today today we have about a half hour am I correct yeah and actually um we got about 10 more minutes actually okay yeah um, um so but actually right. let me let me speak to something real quick that you, sure. you brought up and it just crossed my mind um so our mutual friend Ben Armour Down yes I mm-hmm. posed a question about meditation for translation purposes or transformation purposes and he's going to be doing some audios um, right, I saw that on Twitter, right. Yeah, I'm very excited about But let me yeah. let me take that question and, and have it part of our conversation. Okay. Um, one of my concerns with therapy is it's so individualistic. Okay. Translation means you help the person translate the world so they can be a little happier, a little healthier, a little you know, increased sense of well-being. But you're helping them adapt to the world as it is. Okay. Well, in some situations, the world's pretty fucked up. Oh, thank you. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. There you go. And adapting to it is probably not the healthiest thing for the individual, the community, or the system in which you know, this pathology is taking place. Um, so I think another trouble with uh, uh, psychology or counseling is kind of the individualized nature of it, at least here in the United States. Well, that's very, that is a fascinating concept. And that is a concept that I have been talking about with friends in the field, you know, who are therapists and analysts. And my question is, okay, so you helped someone be able to be verbal, articulate, uh, really express themselves, know their feelings, know their, know what's going on, but they're living in a world where that's not the way that most people are. So then what happens? You know, it's sort of the same kind of a question. Um, it, it's not really the same thing that you're asking. You're saying that, you know, I like very much what you're saying and I agree with you. And isn't there like some quote floating around that, you know, is the problem you or really are you living in, in just really unbearable circumstances, which is the truth. Well, and, um, and a prime example, and we, we don't have to get into this, but I started this conversation with your question and I answered it by saying I had a psychiatrist who's going to put me on drugs. It right. one of the Ritalin drugs at that time right. to help me so I could sit, I, I didn't have a problem sitting still, but so I could be still in class and focus, right? right? So, and this is not against any one kid who's on Ritalin for focusing in school. I think I have my concerns, but... Right. Maybe the classroom itself is pathological, that you're requiring <laughs> six years, seven, eight, nine-year-old little boys to sit still for Absolutely. 50 minutes and then walk around for five and then sit still for 50 minutes. You know, maybe right. that's anti-human nature. Right. So you can force an individual to adapt to a particular system, but I think what we should do collectively as therapists is start looking at the systems themselves and the institutions embedded within those various systems. Right. I love that suggestion. And yet, <clears throat> that goes, you know, when you were talking about schools, so the first thing I thought was, but that's just, that's like just wholesaling education. That's really what it is. The most average child will probably excel at school. I'm not trying to insult anyone or any, but it really made <coughs> the kid in the middle. And, um, 
you know, the kids at the other end of the bell curve and anyone who's a little bit different and who can't sit still has a lot of trouble. And I say this as I I was one of those kids. I, I know this is going to come as a big shock to you, but I could not shut up in class. And I mean, <laughs> straight through my education. Um and I just kept talking and I had a lot of questions and I was very bored with what was going on until I found the, the topics that interested me. But I had to get through school, as do all of the children. And then as, a, as an educator and having been in the classroom, that's your goal. You need those kids to learn the material, take the tests, do well, whatever it is. So I hear you and I, I think that would be a great way to do it. But... Are you suggesting individualized instruction for every child? And and <coughs> psychologically, that would be great. But I'm not a fan of homeschooling, by the way. So, you know, what what are you suggesting? Well, um, that will have to be our our sixth conversation. Okay. Because okay, I, okay. I, I want to hear your concerns about homeschooling. Uh, yeah, sure. And, and such sure, too. Okay. But my generally speaking, um, I'm just suggesting that since we're talking about therapy. The therapy mm-hmm. needs to broaden out its understanding and not just look at the psycho-emotional stuff, but somatics and how the body is organized, how we move in time and space, how we breathe, how we manage our arousal, you know, arousal control, how we manage our nervous system. In the context right. of being social animals and we're part of you know, communities of other mm-hmm. human beings, so right. the collective is also important too, and we're part of various cultures, subcultures. I mean, and then we can narrow back down to the individual individual physiology, how the brain works, nutrition, all that, all environmental factors. It's like we need, a, as Ken Wilber would say, a more integral psychology. Um, so we're asking the right questions and, okay. and looking at things much more comprehensively. Well, that's where it starts. It really starts with asking the right question, and asking the right question is often the hardest part of any process. Yeah. You know, when you get to that magic question, that's that's so exciting because that's when things can happen and um but i do have another question and we won't sure. get a, a chance to get to it because it, it comes from my training and um which is you know freudian in the way it started but um it there is the concept of beyond the pleasure principle um which is the first time that freud discussed the the death instinct you know thanatos um and it's just the struggle between the two opposing drives, and I got this from Wiggy, by the way, please don't judge me, but it was just the simplest, best one. Eros, which produces creativity, harmony, sexual connection, reproduction, self-preservation, and Thanatos, which brings destruction, repetition, aggression, compulsion, and self-destruction. Now, in my training, we work with the dual drives. Um, so that there are times that people are behaving, you know, in our culture, it's always, and I've heard people say, everyone knows who they are. Why aren't you doing the things that make you happy? And, uh, you know, the question is, we all do things that will not make us happy. Uh, where does that come from? How do you work with it? I know how we work with it, but I'm curious, what, is there a place for that in your training? When you see someone engaging in, in behaviors, I'm going to work with behaviors, thoughts, uh, attitudes that are clearly not helping them. They are might be self-destructive. Um, any any thoughts on how you work with that? And again, sure, it's so sure. broad, but, it's, it's very broad, but uh, um, 
the first thing that comes to my mind is, are they really not serving them? Okay, that's interesting. Oh, because, I like that. Yeah, because yeah. at some level, they are serving the person because they keep doing right. it. Now, right. from an objective third-person perspective, you're like, whoa, it's not really serving you long run or even a short run. But for some reason, that person is engaging that behavior. They learned at some point in their past or you know, multiple different times in their past. So it's ingrained in the nervous system. And it served them at one point and perhaps at some level still serving them. And I think okay. it'd be useful to find out how. Okay. If, if okay. in fact, that's true. That's a great yeah, no, that's a, that's a terrific one. That is, sort of goes back to what I was saying about defenses. They were there for a reason, yep. and they were necessary, and they do provide something. Okay, that is a great answer, and such a short answer for such a very long question. <laughs> well, and just in terms of uh, breaking down defense mechanisms, um, I have to give a shout-out to Stuart Zabotsky, Dr. Zabotsky, who's my mentor yes. and friend. Yes, yes. Um, I've spoken a, with him a number of times. He's uh-huh. great. Yeah, and okay. he, he is a very strong critique of the 60s, of the therapy right. that derived from the 60s, where it's all about you know, breaking down the defenses and being authentic and you know letting it all hang out and loose and right. stuff. Um, and I think he has a strong point that that you know that it, it was so agenic and so personalized and all about the individual that you destroyed families, you destroyed marriages, you destroyed families. Yeah. Um, which is obviously problematic at the kind of cultural, social yeah. level. Um, right, and right. not to disparage the importance of, like, you know, getting in touch with your feelings and learning to express them appropriately and breaking down as useful and necessary some of the armoring or, in this case, the defense mechanisms. Um, but I, I tend to agree with him that we went a little bit too far. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a balance that needs to take place because, as you said, and I agree with you, uh, the, the armoring or defense mechanisms was created for a reason. Yeah. And it might serve us still. Um, and perhaps we just need a different relationship to it and we can transform okay. it over time if, if necessary or not. Right. Right. And, well, and, and one last, one last point, too, because I know sure. we're kind of short on time. Happiness. Yeah. You mentioned happiness. <clears throat> yeah. And I love for us to talk about happiness uh, at a later date. Okay. Um, because I think. Having that as a sole North Star for culture is right. self-destructive. I agree with you. I agree with you 1,000%. Okay. What I like very much, if I would just like pull together everything, you know, in a theme, just off the top of my head, um, is you use the word relationships, and I think it's for everything. The relationship, uh, a person with, you know, with themselves, with their society, with education with technology with each other with their therapist so i see that relationships is the word straight through that comes to mind and thank you very much this was really really great sure no i enjoyed it looking forward to it before i know <laughs> <laughs> okay fantastic so have a great great day Michael. thanks Kiki. and thank you so much right. okay Bye bye.